when Paul's writing to the church in, in Corinth, one of the things he tells them is that uh, everyone in the church is part of the body of Christ. Everyone is part of the body. And we love using this illustration uh, because it's, it's one of Paul's many images uh, that you can really get, get your hand on. You can really get, uh, get your mind around it. And it's the idea that, that if, if the church is a body that's doing the work of Jesus in the world, that we all have different roles in it. Uh, that someone might be the hands that go and serve. Someone else might be the feet that go. Someone else might be the muscle that shows up and does work when someone else doesn't have the strength to do it themselves. Others are the mouth who uh, offer evangelism and share the truth of God's word, or maybe the mouth that, that offers encouragement uh, and, and builds people up when they need that. Now, others might be the heart that have the incredible ability to, to love others when other people uh, don't. Some people are not as prone to loving others as some are. And each one of us is given our own gifts and our own abilities and our own strengths. And, and Paul writes, and he says, listen, don't you know that the Spirit gave you these gifts so that you can use them for the building up of the church? And so we all have this role. And, and I want to ask, have you ever thought about what your gift is and what your role is? And it's easy for us uh, to get confident in, in ministering out of our giftedness and out of our strengths. But one of the things that comes up later in Paul's writings is this idea that there's sometimes competition between people with different gifts. That sometimes at church we start thinking some gifts are more valuable than others and people that are more public and more mic'd up might look down on people that are serving uh, when no one's looking or behind the scenes. And that there can be competition between people with different gifts. But what's also interesting is that, that we tend to value the people who are giving more than the people who are receiving. That when we have people who have really great spiritual gifts and they go around and they serve people, we think of the server as having greater value and honor than the one who is served. They're needy. They need help. They're the ones that, that are always asking for other things. And so we tend to look, look up at the people who do the serving, look down on the people who receive the serving. And I think we can really get in trouble if we don't be careful about that mentality. We often think about being Jesus in the world when we are the one who is doing the serving. Then when we imagine if we go out and do a service project, if we want to be Jesus to the world, we're going to what? We're going to use our spiritual gifts to serve the needs of others. So the one who is doing the serving is the one who is being Jesus in that moment and in that, that opportunity to serve. Um, it's like Jesus to have extra and to give to someone who has less. It's like Jesus to be the one uh, who has giftedness and serves the one who is in need. It's like Jesus to pick people up when they get knocked down. And the idea of getting picked up um, changes over time doesn't it? When you're a baby or a child, a little kid goes up to their mom or their dad and they say, up, up. We all smile as the parent reaches down and picks them up, except for the parent whose back is sore and arms are tired. But everyone else smiles when they hear that child, up, up. And then your kids get a little bit older and it's suddenly the parents who are knocking on the bedroom door every morning before school, get up, get up. The bus is coming. You've got to get up. And as a young adult, it changes again. Uh, because in, as a young adult, you get up without thinking about it much. You don't pay much attention to getting up. It's just the thing you do. When you're done with being in the chair, you get up. And then you get in your 30s and 40s, and suddenly you think a little bit more about getting out of that chair, getting out of bed. You become a little bit more aware. 
Whereas in your 20s, your whole body wakes up at the same time, your 30s and 40s, it, some parts wake up slower than others. You gotta kind of move around a little to get yourself in gear. And we know that there's a time in life and a season in life where as older adults, or maybe as we go through sickness or other challenges, uh, that we have to ask someone, I need help getting up. Can you help me to get up right now? Because I, I want to get out of this chair and I want to go somewhere else and, and I need your help to get there. And it's interesting that when we think about, uh, it's, it's really at the often beginning and end of life that we need help getting up, right? Up, up, and can you help me up? And yet we think about those very differently, don't we? When I talk about the child who needs help getting up, we smile and we think, yeah, it's so fun to hold a child who wants to be held. But when we think about it, the time that is coming in all of our lives when we're going to have to ask someone else, hey, help, help me up, we all kind of nod our heads knowingly with that kind of realization that that is the nature of life. But we don't smile about it as much, do we? We don't smile about it. Yeah, some of it, I love that laugh in the back. We don't, because it feels different to need help after we've gotten used to saying, I don't need your help. I've got this all by myself. Kids don't have that. You'll know, you know, they don't say, uh, you know, mom, I've got this. They say, help me. But as older adults, we've gotten used to that idea of being our own person and not needing other people's help. And, and I don't need to be served. I've got this all on my own. And there's this strong streak of independence uh, that makes us not want to ask other people for help. Uh, LeBron James had a really interesting moment in 2018. He had just moved to the Los Angeles Lakers, and I assume you all know who LeBron is. If you don't, you're just, this next 45 seconds is wasted on you, and that's okay, you'll catch the rest. Uh, but LeBron James, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, he's been playing for like 20 years now. Uh, he's almost my age, uh, which is terrifying that, that players my age are retiring or getting close to retirement. Um, that's a scary thing uh, for me. Um, so LeBron James just moved to the Lakers, and the Lakers the season before had had all of these young players, and they were young. They're currently stars, but at the time they were just guys with a lot of potential. And the season before LeBron got there, they were not a good team. They weren't very good. And so LeBron comes into the team, and he's trying to raise these guys up, and he's trying to teach them what it means to be professional basketball players. He's trying to teach them what it means to become a, a real team that has a winning culture and a team mentality. And, and, and he's got these guys, and these guys are 15 years younger than LeBron. Uh, and on one of the occasions, Kyle Kuzma, one of these young stars, gets knocked to the ground. And, and he does what a 20-year-old guy would, would do. He gets knocked to the ground, and you know what he does? He just hops right back up. Because that's what 20-year-olds do when you knock them down. They get up. And LeBron runs over to Kyle Kuzma, and he says, Hey, listen up, bro. When you get knocked down, stay down. You let your brothers pick you up. Let your brothers pick you up. And it became this, this famous kind of moment, and it was one of those games where he's mic'd up, so there's actually a recording of him saying this. And what we see is, for LeBron, who's been playing in over 100 games a year for 20 years, he knows if you try and get up by yourself every time, 100 games a year for the next 10 or 15 years, it's going to take a toll on you. But more importantly than that, he wants to start teaching these young guys, we're not a bunch of individuals that take care of ourselves. When you get knocked down, you stay there and you let your brothers help you up because we're a team. We're a unit. We take care of each other. And this is one of the greatest basketball players in the world. 
If he was a soccer player, he'd be like, stay down, roll for a while, get the trainers out here, they'll give you water, we'll get some water, then they'll help you up. But that's not how basketball works. (laughs) But I think it is how more often the church should work. That young player didn't look at LeBron and say, man, I'm going to get up by myself. I don't need your help getting off the basketball court. He looked at him and said, I respect you, and if that's how this team's going to be, if we're going to be a team that picks each other up, I'm going to be on board with that. And it changed the culture. A couple years later, they won a championship. Why? Because they had developed a winning culture. They'd also picked up a few star players along the way. Uh, But you see this all over when you watch basketball. Players, when they get knocked down, wait for their teammates to pick them up. Because it communicates that you're going to support each other when the game gets hard, when things get difficult. Uh, You see this all the time. But in our world, a lot of times it's different than that. We don't want that depending on each other culture, that I need help mentality. Um, I'm very much this way, so don't feel like I've got this figured out. Uh, Last year, we bought some new couches uh, at our house and we had them delivered. Uh, And the the Mathis Brothers guys got there and we had only paid them to bring them to the doorstep, not the extra amount to bring them in. Uh, But when they got there, uh, they were like, hey, do you want us to just bring these in and set them up? And, and part of me was like, I didn't pay for that service. But then the other part of me went, yeah, if you want to. And they came right on in. So I was willing to let them help when they were just, you know, it's their job. But then we had a problem because we wanted to rotate our really heavy recliners up our kind of twisty staircase to our movie room. Um, and we wanted to do it before the kids got home. Uh, so I had this plan uh, that Leah and I would do it. Um, and... And I asked the question, what's the worst that could happen? Because <laughs> I still think I'm 20, and that's the question a 20-year-old asks. Uh, but Leah is actually like me in her 30s, and 30-year-olds know the answer to that question. Because uh, you know what your insurance deductible is and how much it costs to go to physical therapy and a chiropractor for two months. <laughs> and she says, listen, I'm not going to be on the other half of this. And I said, well, I can't carry it up there myself. And, and here we had a problem. Um, And so she says, listen, I'm just going to call some movers. It's just two pieces of furniture. I'm sure it won't cost that much. We can have it done before the kids get home. It'll be great. And I said, I don't want to do that. She says, why not? I said, because they're going to be carrying the couches up the stairs looking at me going, why aren't you doing this? And I'm not going to have a really good answer. And so we came up with a compromise. And the compromise was that she would hire movers to come move the couches up the stairs, and I would leave the house and not be there so that it would just look like... (laughs) They were doing it for her, and I was okay with that. I'm okay being husband not at at home. I'm not okay being husband not carrying the couches up the stairs because I don't want to be needy. I don't want people looking down on me like, oh, you needed us to take care of you. And that kind of mentality is in the church all the time. And yet it's not in Scripture. It's not part of the way that we see Jesus interacting with people. And so today I want to actually look at a few stories where Jesus is interacting with people and how he's treating them, because what you're going to see is is it's not what we always assume. That being Jesus doesn't always mean I've got extra, I've got more, and I'm going to share it with you who has less. I deserve honor and glory, and you deserve shame. That's not what we see over and over again in in the New Testament. And so what we see is Jesus shows up, at a well in the middle of the day, and there's a woman there. And Jesus does not show up and say, 
hey, I'm really good at scooping water. Why don't I scoop some of this water and give it to you because you look like you can't even scoop water by yourself. He shows up and he says, hey, can you get me a drink? Can you serve me a drink? And Jesus, it seems that he knows that this conversation is going to move towards spiritual things. And he ends up telling her that he is the Messiah that even her, she is waiting for. But, but he starts out by saying, I'm willing to be served by you if you're willing to serve me. And the conversation moves from there. Jesus one time comes in contact with a tax collector. And, and if you know anything about tax collectors in the ancient world, they're liked even less than we like them today. Um, and that's saying something, right? Tax day's coming up this week, and uh, not many of us are excited about it. Um, oof, I need to not go on a rant about taxes. Tax collectors are the worst! And, and they thought so too. And, and so one of them, Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, and he's ta taking taxes from his Jewish brothers and sisters to give to Caesar. So it's even worse than what we have today. Uh, and Zacchaeus comes up and he's trying to see what the big deal is about this guy that's got like a parade going on around him. He's so popular and the crowd's all there. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And he could have said, Zacchaeus, you need my help. And I'm going to throw a banquet today. And if you can behave yourself, you can come as one of the invited guests. That's not what he says. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house and let you be host, and I'm going to be guest. I'm going to let you have the honor of serving me, and I'm going to go be guest at your house. And people can't believe it. People are going, I, I can't believe that Jesus is going to go eat at this guy's house. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. And, and this simple act of going and being guest at Zacchaeus' house causes Zacchaeus to turn his whole life around. He says, listen, I'm, I'm a follower of this guy. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to pay back anything I've taken in excess of what I should have been taking all along. And he turns his whole business practice and, and spiritual relationship and morality around. Why? Because Jesus was willing to let him be host and Jesus be guest. And we see this over and over again. In Scripture, so often there's this expectation that the one who is being served has some kind of a special gift has a secret uh, that, that you don't know, but if you're willing to listen, they may share it with you, and it may become an incredible blessing to you. And this is true all throughout the ancient world, uh, that when people show up uh, and they are in need, if you serve them, you might be entertaining angels. You might actually be serving gods in disguise. This is how the Romans and the Greeks thought about it, that you might, when you serve someone, be serving gods in disguise. And if you fail, they may punish you, and if you succeed, they may bless you. And Israel had this expectation too. You see it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, that when you bless someone, you can, if you're listening, if you're willing to honor them, that they might have a blessing for you too. And it's very different from our, I'm being Jesus and you're receiving my gifts and you should be thankful to me, I'm so good. It's different. It's this idea of, I want you to come be a guest in my house because I want to get to know you. I want you to come eat some of my food so that I can be blessed by your presence, by what you have to offer. And we've experienced, if you've ever been involved in mission work, or if you've done real ministry uh, in, in uncomfortable places where you're outside of your own box, you've experienced this. 
Polly used to go with us to Guyana every year uh, for years and years. Back when we'd go to Guyana, uh, South America, if you don't know Guyana, we used to take uh, teens and a, a youth mission trip down there. Now we do Honduras, we used to do Guyana. And we'd go down every summer for a week and we'd set up for one week a medical mission clinic uh, and, and we had a pharmacy, we had doctors and nurses, and, and we would serve 1,200 to 1,400 people in a week. And they'd come through and they'd get a, a Bible study. And I would, do, uh, I would do a lot of the Bible studies. I'd do five to 15 Bible studies a day. Alton would do two and keep those people forever. They never, at some point it's like, get them to the doctor, man. Um, but Polly would go every year and she would uh, minister to the children. And she would love these kids. And, and it was so fun because these little uh, South American children had never seen anything like Polly George. They thought she was something. Um, and she'd get there and she'd sit there and they would color and they would play. And if you ask her, were you Jesus to those children? What she would tell you is I went to Guyana to see Jesus in them every year. Every year. You know, Bill Oden, you talk to him about the mission work he's been on. Uh, Bill will tell you, why, Bill, why do you like going to the Philippines so much? And he's like, because I just see Jesus in those people. And, and you go do mission work to be Jesus, and when you get there, the surprise is he's already there. And he's there in the people we're serving, and he's there in the people that, that we're trying to bless become this incredible blessing to us. Amen. And Alton, you know this. You go out on the streets all the time to be a blessing to people, and who ends up getting blessed? Do. You do. You go to feed people, and they feed your soul in some way that's often a surprise, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. One year while we were in Guyana, there's a little boy, a sweet little boy named Ronaldo. Uh, and, and over the week, he and I got to be buddies. We talked about soccer. I said, are you named after the soccer player? And he says, yeah, but it's spelled different. We talked about soccer. And, and we just had so much fun. And, and every day, we had security at the clinic. Um, so you only got in if you had a number. I don't know how Ronaldo did it, but he got past security every day. And, and when I wasn't doing Bible studies, he'd be, he and I would get over and we'd start playing and we'd be talking and sharing about life. And, and I just had so much fun that week with Ronaldo. Got to meet his mom partway through the week. Um, she didn't come to see the doctors. She came because she wanted to meet Ronaldo's buddy. And at the end of that week, uh, after me spending a whole week just thinking about how much I had been able to be Jesus to this little kid, uh, he comes up to me and he says, hey, my mom's here and she's got something she wants to give to you. Now, keep in mind, uh, when we're down there, we, aren't a, we, we eat behind a sheet at the clinic because we don't want to be eating in front of people who are hungry. And when we're down there, we're bringing them medicines. And, and as they're there, a lot of times, and they're describing their symptoms, they're also describing symptoms that they think they will have in a couple months because the clinic's not going to be there in a couple months when they need the medicines that we have now. And he comes up to me and she says, thank you so much for, for spending time with my boy this week. And then she hands me this, this vase. I don't know what this vase cost, cost her. And she hands me uh, this statue of the country of Guyana. And it's got my name on the top and Guyana and Ronaldo's name on the bottom. And then she hands me this plaque of uh, the largest church in Georgetown. And then she hands me this woven, the Lord is my shepherd, mat. And these are still in my office today. And they sit in my office. And, and when, when he gave them to me, he says, I want to give you these so that you never forget my name. And you think, man, I, I came down here to show you Jesus. And then Jesus shows me 
this. Unbelievable generosity. Unbelievable kindness. A desire that even though we're not you know, likely to see each other again, that, that we'll still have this memory of one another uh, that would last. Uh, he and I are incidentally Facebook friends today. Uh, the world's gotten a lot smaller uh, since 20 years ago. Uh, he sent me a message uh, a few years ago, and it said, hey, do you remember me? And I said, you better believe I remember you. You better believe I remember you. Because I went to be Jesus to him, and he and his mom became Jesus to me. God shows up in surprising ways when we're willing to love people. And the honor is not functioning from a top-down place where we go and serve people and walk away going, boy, am I great because I'm like Jesus and they should be thankful to Jesus because I showed up. That's not what happens. That's not how it works when we have this rightly ordered uh, understanding of things. And so the passage that was read earlier, the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says, uh, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will look at him and, and, and say, Lord, when did those things happen? When did those things happen? I don't remember a time when you were hungry or naked or in prison. I don't remember any of those times, Jesus, that that, that happened to you, and I showed up and served you. But the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did it for me. And so when we serve people, are we being the body of Christ to them? Yes. But are they also Jesus? Yes. The promise that is in this story for we who are willing to serve is that when we serve someone else, whether they're a believer in Jesus or not, we, when we serve them, are serving Jesus Christ. That when we go and take care of the poor, we are taking care of Jesus. When we go and do clothing ministries, we're clothing Jesus. And he says, you will be rewarded for what you've done for me. And he's answering a question that exists in the ancient world in a different way than it exists in our world today. In the ancient world, uh, there was an expectation of reciprocity. So if I give you something that's for you, I expect to get something back in return so that the relationship is back in balance. You don't have a social debt to me. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I want you to serve other people who are in need without worrying about them settling the debt because you're serving me and I've already given more than you can. You can't be in, they can't be in debt to you if, they're ser if you're serving them in my place. And so for Jesus, there's this idea that, that he's given so much that out of that, that gratitude for all that Jesus has done, we then give to others. We share to others. We give grace to others. We take care of people in all kinds of circumstances. And the story takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. And it's a week that, that has all kinds of extremes. Uh, today is a, a day that many churches celebrate as, as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter, and they call, it come, uh, they call to mind 
the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and a colt, and he's riding, and they're putting branches on the, the road in front of him, and they're crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And it's a king's parade. It's a Messiah's parade. And, and it seems like, boy, this is as good as it could get as he's coming into Jerusalem. What does Jesus start teaching about in the week before then? He talks about how the greatest will be the least and servant of all. He talks about how he's going to be offered as a sacrifice for us. He starts teaching about sheep and goats and taking care of the poor. He isn't talking about being a king and how awesome it's going to be. He isn't talking about his own power and honor. In that week, what he talks about over and over again is sacrifice and humility and being the kind of people that he's demonstrating how to be. And one of the most poignant moments in that week of, of kind of ups and downs of celebrations and, and grievances uh, comes in the Gospel of John. In John chapter uh, 13, if you've got your Bibles, turn over there. John chapter 13 uh, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and with his apostles, and it was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knows he's from the Father. He knows that he's going back to the Father. He knows that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah. And at that moment, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets water in a basin. And he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Why does he say that? Because Peter's the kind of guy that won't be at his house when the movers come to move the couch upstairs. Peter's the kind of guy that, that when he gets knocked down on the basketball court, says, don't help me up. I'm a man. I'm going to get myself up. Peter's the kind of guy that goes, I'm going to take care of myself. You're not going to lower yourself and serve me. I've got this. No, says Peter, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had their bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said not every one was clean. When he finished at washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Listen to what Jesus tells them. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. He's talking about the honor, honorifics they give him. You give me honor, you recognize me, you distinguish me as a leader and one who is worthy of praise. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, 
you will be blessed if you do them. If we're going to be the kind of Christians who are willing to get down and, and use our hands to wash people's feet, are we being Jesus when we wash their feet? Yeah. But we need to know that we're also washing the feet of Jesus. There's something powerful about the relationship between the server and the recipient. And it's a divine thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a moment where, where heaven shows up and, and Jesus is present in both people. And there's this mutual growth and this mutual blessing. There's this giving and receiving that are both Jesus-like actions. So when we think about uh, the hostess with the mostest, we also need to think about how the guest is the best, right? And it's true because it rhymes. It has the added benefit of, of something you can know. Um, but it's really very real. The guest shows up with something special, with a gift, but we often don't look for it because we don't expect it. We've gotten used to the people with extra being the ones that we need to listen to, and the people with less being the ones that just need to be quiet and be served. We've got to turn these things upside down. We've got to realize that in the kingdom of God, everyone shows up with something to give, even in the moment what they are receiving. What does that mean for us at Northwest? What does it mean this year? It means that our Honduras team, I pray that our Honduras team, when you go to Honduras and you're praying as you go down there, I hope that people will see Jesus in you. And in, in Honduras, our teens and the people that go down there are serving people that don't have homes, that don't have anything, that go and collect food from, uh, from the, the landfill. And, and we go down there, and part of the reason we go down there is so that they can see Jesus in our teens. But I hope that our teens get down there and see Jesus in the poor. In our Alpha classes that we have going, where, where over and over again our Alpha leaders are praying that, that the people who come will learn about and see Jesus in our words, I hope that when our Alpha volunteers go to Alpha that they're willing to listen and find Jesus in the words of the people that have come to learn and come to share that we can learn from them. As Alton goes out uh, with some of his ministry leaders and people that are with him and, and going out in the highways and byways, he knows, and we need to be coming alongside him and saying, when we go out to the streets, we're not just trying to be Jesus to these people uh, that he's finding on the sides of the highways and the byways, but when we get there, we need to expect Jesus to be there for us to visit and us to feed and us to serve. Where two or more gather in my name, Jesus tells us, there I am also. And when we love and when we serve, we do his work. But when we love and when we serve, the guest has a blessing for us too. If we show up with expectation and anticipation and a willingness to be curious and to listen and to find Jesus in them. This morning... Uh, if you've never joined into the body of Jesus, the Bible tells us that you do that by being baptized into the body and you become one of his people, one of God's children, that your sins are washed away and you become his people forever. Part of this incredible relationship where the body exists with the spirit dwelling in us and among us. If you've never responded to that invitation or if you have any other needs, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.